This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Curtis Rogers and Stacey Rost with you here on Seattle Sports at Night. We're holding it down on 710 for the next two hours. Coors Light text line always there for you. We have got a lot to get to tonight. It feels like, on one hand, there's not a ton going on with the Seahawks on pause until July 25th. But in the same breath, there still is a lot going on. you got the Mariners right now who won today, 8-2. to But as the weeks pass and July 31st gets near, we're going to learn more and more about how Jerry Depoto wants to put this rebuild in motion and how he wants to put this retool in motion and I mean, for people looking for interesting things to to find about this Mariners team in the midst of a of a just a dreadful kind of season or or a season that no dreadful's it, okay yeah has I think be- dreadful's fine yeah has become just a chore I think for some people uh, when watching this team it's going to get interesting over the next couple of weeks so uh, that is something to watch out for uh, we're going to talk about that rebuild and and just our people running out of patience for it already before it really has been truly put in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about that coming up in hour two of tonight. But, Stacy, I, I think we should just get right into it. Let's do it. It is time to find out what is on Wednesday night's timeline as we open it up here on Seattle Sports Tonight. Mariners beating the Royals 8-2 in the series finale. The most encouraging things I saw today, Marco Gonzalez mm-hmm. going 6-2, and two-thirds strong innings. Continuing, continuing to build off his last two starts after he had such a rough month of May. Great to see him go out there, give the Mariners good innings, and then also Domingo Santana swinging the bat well, hitting two home runs today. I believe that was his second multi-home ring, home run game of the season. The Mariners needing good news because the other big news of the day or of the last 24 hours, Felix Hernandez... Will he ever pitch again in a Mariners uniform? He's undergoing an MRI on his throwing shoulder to kind of find out why he had to leave his most previous start early. Stacy, that MRI with Felix, it just feels like another... How, ner- th- how optimistic are you or pessimistic about this? Uh, I'm very pessimistic. Okay. I can't imagine he's going to throw another meaningful inning for the Mariners. Which now, means, is he going to throw another meaningful inning Ever? ever. I think he, if he doesn't end up with the Mariners again next season, which I'm pretty, I'm going to guarantee and say that he's not back with the Mariners in 2020, even if it's like a one-year deal or a minor league deal. I I think a team is going to take a flyer on him, yeah, just because they may find something in him that the Mariners haven't been able to unlock. Uh, but I don't think he's ever going to pitch a, a meaningful inning for the Mariners ever again. But that could mean that they give him a final start, like last day of the season, have him pitch an inning, whatever, have him throw a couple pitches. But to me, the Mariners don't have anything to gain by putting him out there and continuing to just go through this back and forth that they've done the last three seasons. It's just, I think it's time to cut the cord and and move on. It's just such a sad ending to 
what was an amazing career in Seattle. And we've talked about this before, but the difference with kind of looking at how Ichiro um, was treated as he left versus this very kind of unceremonious and kind of sad ending to Felix's career in Seattle is kind of a jarring uh, comparison to make. Yeah, and it it kind of speaks to how very little in sports great athletes have a great ending. Well, to their and careers. go out on your own terms. Exactly. Uh, Ichiro, he got lucky in that the Mariners wanted him back mm-hmm. and that they were okay with having him sit on the bench for basically an entire season and then to have a moment like he had in Tokyo uh, back in March. I think he got lucky in that. But you look at Ken Griffey Jr., the greatest Seattle athlete ever. He left in the middle of the night and just started driving east to Orlando from Seattle and didn't let anybody know until he was in like Montana, of all places, and called the Mariners and said, yeah, I'm not coming back. Like That is about as unceremonious as it gets. You've got other great athletes in this town. I think Sean Alexander, he got released and then played a couple of games for Washington and just looked ridiculous in that uniform, and his career was over. So it doesn't end well for athletes most of the time. You're never, you're rarely ever going to see guys like John Elway win a Super Bowl on his right. way out. Peyton, Peyton Manning. Manning. Yeah, you're rarely ever going to see that, and so... It just stinks to see Felix, who I, I would consider one of the greatest athletes in Seattle sports history, to just be a shell of what he once was. Well, and someone who brought so much to an organization that really struggled. I mean, the Seahawks have had stars. Even when they weren't as successful an organization, they still had guys that were at least nationally recognized as big contributors. And I think Felix has been the star for Seattle. Not obviously of late, but for a Mariners team that continues to be just one of the most confusing franchises in in the MLB to me um, and continues to just lose season in and season out. I think it's, it's just especially disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into some, some good news here. 24 hours away from the NBA draft. We talked about Matisse Thibel last night where he may end up, but also Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark of Gonzaga. Those are two guys who could go potential lottery picks. uh, Just, Gonzaga keeping that pipeline going to the NBA. Great. It should be a great night for local talent. Who knows if Jalen Noel gets picked in the second round. I'm excited to see where players outside of Zion Williamson go because we know he's going to be the number one pick made by the Pelicans. Did you see the photo on Twitter of Zion Williamson sitting at his spot for a media uh, event in the crowd around him? And then I don't remember who was sitting next to him. Another prospect. But they had like three people. No one. Oh. Yeah, and, rough. I mean, that kid, the kid sitting next to Zion, he's going to the NBA, too. Yeah, and... but we're calling him the kid right now because yeah, we can't that's remember true. who he uh, was, which kind of drives that point home. Do, do you plan on watching the NBA draft beyond the mm. Zion Williamson pick? You know, I don't normally watch it, but I think this year I'm kind of curious uh, specifically to see where Thibel goes. I know we talked about the Warriors at 28, and I think that's interesting. The The NBA draft, it's not on the level of NFL draft in terms of like great social media events. See, that's what I'm used to covering is like events that have... Just fire tweets I mean, blasting off. Yeah. But there are some fire tweets about the NBA draft. There are especially definitely the fire. Suits. NBA Twitter might be the best Twitter. It Oh, might be. It is. It is. It absolutely right. it is. is. And I, I would say... 
the best tweets we're going to see tomorrow night are probably going to be about like what the guys are wearing. I'm fine with that. Yeah, which NBA players, they take much bigger risks in their fashion than that, any other sport. I think that football players have started to take fashion risks. I think it started with an influx of uh, loafers, specifically like, like and lots of velvet, and both of which I'm down for. But I think that I think that it's becoming more and more like experiment a bit on the red carpet. I'm down for it. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm very fine with this. I'm tired of people being annoyed by it. Like anyone can enjoy a red carpet event. It's like how many red carpets are you gonna go to? Have fun. With exactly. That. Like this isn't gonna sit well with Seahawks fans in town. Say it, Curtis. But I kind of enjoy seeing what wild outfit Cam Newton's going to wear. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Like top hats and like he, he had a tail one time. Yeah. Like I'm okay with him just expressing himself that way. I, I get a vibe from him that he's not like the greatest guy to hang around, but... I'm still fine with the hats. Yeah. Like, I'm okay with it. I don't love all of them. I'm not endorsing them, but I'm saying take risks. Exactly. Get outside your comfort zone. Uh, speaking of some Awesome news. Uh, Seattle Storm head coach Dan Hughes, you may remember, uh, announced he had a cancerous tumor in his digestive tract. Well, he has rejoined the team uh, after undergoing successful surgery to remove that tumor uh, on May 14th. He had been rehabbing uh, for the last couple of months, but he is back on the sideline for the Storm. So uh, definitely awesome, awesome news for him and for the Storm franchise. Uh, Some other crazy news today. The David Ortiz saga, as it continues to unfold, we find out more and more about it. This is like, this is going to be a great Dateline episode. Oh, it's not even Dateline. This is, this might make its own little documentary. Well, today... It's certainly going to be Dateline, which I love. Today, police in the Dominican Republic announced new findings in their investigation that David Ortiz may have been shot due to a case of mistaken identity. I, conspiracy theory, I already don't know if I believe this. Would you hire lookalikes to follow you around in case you had like a, a hit out for you? I might have one. Um, you already? Are you the real Stacy that's, that's on a good these question. airwaves right now? It's going to be just fake me wandering around just in case. Mm. Uh, wait, so, so it had nothing to do with that, though. They're saying they were targeting just someone he was with. Yes, and they... Uh. The... People who were trying to pull off the hit apparently got confused because Ortiz and the guy who was initially targeted wore similar-looking shirts that night. So they may have just been like, oh, that's him right there. When, and, and it turns out it's it's actually David Ortiz. Are we buying that this is just the worst hitman ever? Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> 100%. 100%. <laughs> the Dateline episode gets weirder. Honestly, it's, thank God that David Ortiz is okay. Yes. Because it's, it's brought us to just the point of this becoming just a wild story. Um, and one that just keeps getting weirder by the day. I hate to think what would happen if he wasn't. But, oh, but yeah. thankfully he is, and now we're just stuck wondering what the heck happened here, because this is insane. It is. Yeah, he, his condition, I believe, has been upgraded to like good, which I didn't know that was a, an official condition in the medical term. Like, Can you imagine if he's okay good. was one? He's okay. Yeah, he, he's fair. He's fair, all right. I, no, fair is one. Oh, it is? I think so. Oh, I, I said know. that so confidently. Yeah. Set it, set it with the chest. I know. Now you got to back it up. Not uh, my time working in a hospital. Really? You worked in a hospital? No, Curtis, oh, okay. but see how I said yeah. that so much more confidently? 
I'm yeah. getting better at it. Yeah. Uh, next thing you know, like I'm going to believe anything you say here. I'm 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 thrown for a loop now. <laughs> you've got me. You've got me wobbling. My my yeah. So coming up next here on Seattle Sports at Night, CJ Procise. Yeah. I'm sure you've already got your mind made up about him, but is he in a position to change the narrative about him finally? We talk that next. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Ross, right here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. You can download the Seattle Sports at Night podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or 710sports.com. Click on the podcast page. Also available on the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound accurate dealers. Stacey, you and I, we were having an a, a interesting conversation off air. I asked you the question... What is the most I knew you would bring this money back you have ever spent <laughs> yeah. at Taco Bell yes. just on yourself? Not okay, not at Taco Bell. Let's talk the most we've ever spent just for thirty seconds. The fast most we've food. ever spent on fast food. Um I ordered I really, really wanted a Subway sandwich at like I don't know, ten PM uh-huh. or so. And I spent uh with a fee, I think it was like twenty six dollars on like Uber Eats on Uber Eats to get a Subway sandwich. Yeah, and it was great. Uh, I think the most I've ever spent on something just by myself. Something where you have no business spending that much on it. It's one thing to get like a twenty five dollar pizza and, and yeah. something with it, but I I remember I really wanted. So the Ram has these things called armadillo eggs. Which is like chicken and jalapenos and like cream cheese and it's all like in a ball and it's amazing. But the delivery fee that night was like twelve dollars. Yeah, I didn't care. No. Yeah. When so you want it, you want. Yeah. It. So it was like twenty four, twenty five dollars yep. for it. Yep. Just that one thing. There are certain times when you add something to your Uber Eats and then you're like, "Don't do this." And other days where you're like, "It doesn't matter. This could be a hundred dollars." And I'm like, "Oh you know yeah, what? let's go." Well, Friday night. Of payday Friday. That's, oh, money isn't real. Exactly. <laughs> there is no object. What do uh, you mean? What yeah. delivery fee? I don't recognize your, like, money. Mm, yeah. So that is, uh, I guess that's what we were talking about off the air. If but you want to peek behind the scenes. Yeah. Let's peek in front of the scenes now. No? 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 <laughs> don't do it. So the Seahawks, they're, what, four and a half, five weeks away Just from... About- from training camp Every five weeks and there's one specific guy on this roster that when his name gets brought up this text line fills up with just the most negative mm-hmm. reaction to angry it. reactions not even negative i mean a lot of them are pessimistic but some of them are personally angry and like, it's, i've had enough and it's for nothing that he's done on the field because when he is out on the field he's contributed at multiple occasions you bring his name up on social media, it's just a lightning rod of, oh, he's hurt? Oh, The same joke over and, yeah, over and over and over. Saw that coming. It's CJ Procise, if you if you can't tell by now. But it got Stacy wondering about athletes and, and how do you change the narrative, and is there athletes that 
you feel are better than what the public perception is about their playing career. And Stacy, when you see CJ Procise out there and he continues to have good practice after good practice, but then like we saw at the end of minicamp, he gets dinged up again mm-hmm. and ends up back on the injury report. Is it something that now is maybe out of his control or is it something? I don't think it's out of, I mean, yes, injuries are out of your control, but I think here's, here's the realization I came to. I'm going to, take a step back when I was when I left college graduated from college not like left um, my very first job out of college was working at the zoo and oh wow yeah and uh which one zoo of, Woodland Park and nice. one of the stations that we work at uh is the ticket counter just if you're a standard zoo worker and I want you to put yourself in it's summertime it's hot you're irritated. Mm. You, you're working at a zoo, and it's fun. There are animals, but you're hungry. And every other person to come up to the counter says one of the same two jokes. Number one is, uh, like, say it's a family of four. The dad says uh, one adult and three kids, meaning he's one of the kids. Wink, wink. Uh, oh, man. Number two is... Uh, a family coming up with kids and saying, hey, can we drop these two off in the monkey cages or some Uh, kind of like animal where they want to leave their kids? Here's the thing. Every time you make that joke, you're doing it to be friendly and to have small talk with someone at the ticket counter. And that's wonderful. And that's that's very polite of you. I've heard that joke 25 times today. So here's what it reminded me of. When I post about CJ Procise, I just see the same things over and over and over again. And I hate a bad joke more than I hate and almost anything else. And I just keep seeing like, Oh, there's Mr. Glass and the same things over and over. So I was getting kind of riled up about it. Cause it kind of was reminding me of, you know, my zoo days. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. Can I really be that mad at fans who even fans who get kind of irritated at CJ Procise being injured because, to their credit, it's hard to knock them when he's been totally unable to stay on the field. Yeah. But then I thought, well, if he changes that narrative, he could be a really great player. There's no way the Seahawks would have kept him around if he wasn't incredibly versatile and they didn't feel like he had a high ceiling. But the only person, the only person who can take away those awful jokes and keep us from seeing them over and over and over again on Twitter is C.J. Procise. I think C.J. Procise, his best way of going about changing his narrative is there are two Seahawks right now on this roster that have either been successful at changing the public narrative on them or are going through this mm-hmm. as well and are are coming out on the other end. One is Justin Britt. Justin Britt was clowned on his first two years in the NFL, unlike anybody we've ever seen, maybe to the level of C.J. Procise, where he was on the Super Bowl Forty Nine team that was you know a yard short of winning a title and. He was seen as a liability on that team when he was, I think he played, what, right tackle or right guard uh, on that offensive line, and then they moved him around again. And then by year three, he was the center, and people were like, okay, this guy, he's either going to stick here or he's going to be out of the league in year three. And then the jokes about Justin Britt and how ineffective he were coming into year three, it was just, it was at an all-time high. 
And then all of a sudden, Britt not only became a competent center, he became a Pro Bowl center. He became... I, I viewed him before Dwayne Brown showed up as like the mouthpiece of that offensive line and a leader on the offensive side of the ball. We've seen him evolve from this bust that he was his first two seasons into a legit NFL player and a guy who ended up getting a second deal from the Seahawks, which is really unheard of when it comes to the offensive line here. Another guy, same offensive line, Jermaine Effetti who we saw the same thing his first two years in the NFL. He struggled, and really the first half of last year had some struggles as well. But then he really started to figure it out, cut down on the penalties in the second half of last year, and maybe that's due in large part to playing for Mike Solari instead of Tom Cable, which by all accounts is night and day and is a much better scenario to be in if you're an offensive lineman. And I think Jermaine Effetti is getting close to becoming a steady offensive lineman in this league, and he's going to get paid whether it's here in Seattle or elsewhere following this season. I don't know if he's going to get paid, what was it, the $10.5 million that the fifth-year option. option would have been. But, I mean, seven, $8 million, that's not a bad payday. Uh, so I think there are two very recent examples of guys on the Seahawks roster that have been able to change their narrative when it looks like the book has been written on them already. No, and that's a really good point, Curtis, because I think when you look at guys who are able to change their narrative, you have to have the ability to be a better player. I don't think I don't think anyone would argue that CJ Procise uh, like couldn't be a better player. Like no one's saying he's a bad player. You're an NFL running back. You were drafted for a reason. You were a college running back for a reason. But he can be so much better. The gap is so wide. The gap between the versatility he would be able to bring, and that's versatility that Seattle needs. I mean, I imagine that Schottenheimer and Carroll want to get the running backs more involved in the passing game. And right now, your running back group with a guy like Chris Carson, who Brock pointed out this morning, had uh, 20 receptions last year, which is significantly lower than some of the other leading running backs in the league. It's not his fault. He can't throw to himself. But, I mean, it does diversify your offense, and I would imagine that you want to be able to do that, especially leaning on your run game and having that really nice rotation of backs that can give you a lot in either phase of the ball. And I think, you know, the the thing with C.J. Procise is he can be so much better than what he's been, and you almost want for nothing else than for him to – and this isn't from, like, a fan perspective. It's just from the perspective of – I'm just really tired of seeing the same critique over and over and over again. And I'm sure he is too. But it's like, man, I mean, I can't change it. But, I mean, he could be so much better. That's the thing. It's not – he's not a mediocre running back. What is the – what's that uh, – you, you watch America's Next Top Model. Watched? Yes, absolutely. Uh, what was that one scene – it was one of the very first seasons where Tyra is just – We were rooting last, for you. Yeah. We were all rooting for you. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like, that's how I, I think Seahawks fans feel about CJ Procise. That's how I feel about Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah. I, I don't think Seahawks fans are rooting against CJ Procise. Um, I think there are fans really? that – Okay, never read the comments on anything. Okay, yeah. But, you know, when I – post articles or tweets from camp or do something sometimes comments are really angry and i think that people get really really mad and really riled up about players that they feel are a waste of time and space and i think it's a mean perspective to have but 
you'd be surprised how many people get like actually frustrated with CJ Procise taking up a roster spot they think should go to someone else. If you're allowing like a player who you've never met or who you've never spoken to or anything like that, if you're allowing their like on-field performance or their injury history to like ruin your nine to five day. Yeah, but that's just sports. Yeah. I think that there are, I mean, if it's not going to be like getting riled up at a specific player, it's getting riled up at the loss, uh, a game about, I don't know, like a decision, uh, a last second, you know, loss or whatever. I mean, people are really affected by sports. You can't knock on anyone for that. I think both of us would say we have been. I mean, it's, it's, it's it different bothers for me us when it's something that is something a player can't control. Yeah, I think it's different for us, though, because, I mean, sports are our 9-to-5. Yeah. So I, I think on-field play and, and injuries and, and storylines like that, they do affect our job because we have to talk about it and we have to – do segments like this when CJ Procise gets dinged up and, and, you know, have to, you know, just look at this conversation again. And, you know, I hope that by mid season this year, CJ Procise is having a really good season, not to the point of like where he's, he's the number one running back, or maybe he is like impressing that much, but if he can have like a Mike Davis kind of year in, in 2019, the way Davis did last year where he just, you know, myself included, a lot of people slept on him, and he went out and had a really productive season as the number two running back. If he can go out there and and push Rashad Penny and he can go out there and continue to push Chris Carson, I think that's going to be a great season for C.J. Procise. Does that mean he's here next year? Probably not, but it's certainly a possibility. Yeah, And I think that's what Seahawks fans are hoping for right now, just a possibility of C.J. Procise to get on the field. Is there another player you could think of just offhand? We are, we don't have enough time to really dig into it, but... On the Seahawks roster that, that you needs... You know, on either, because I was thinking like Felix could be part of this, but the yeah. difference between C.J. Procise and Felix is that C.J. is still a young guy who, if he can find a way to get his health on track has a chance to to really take a step forward. Felix is kind of on that downturn. So maybe he's not the best example, but you know, you could think like starting early. Yeah. Right? It doesn't have to be a long-term thing. CJ Procise has developed that reputation as an injury uh ridden player from a couple seasons of landing on IR, which isn't great and isn't altogether super normal. So it makes sense, but there are other players who you know, you say Kikuchi, a lot of people had a lot of high hopes for him and he's had a couple bad outings. It's way too early to to say anything drastic about him. But if you're him, you probably want to nip that in the bud and start turning it around, right? Yeah. There are a couple of guys who I'm thinking of right now. They're not they weren't professional athletes. In fact, both of them uh have graduated since. Uh but David Crisp on the Husky basketball team. Mm-hmm was viewed as such a liability on offense. Like, what are you doing shooting the ball? And then come a senior season, like, he's making big shots, and he is a huge contributor offensively. And then somebody who never got an opportunity to change that narrative, and that's Jake Browning. Everybody has a book written on Jake Browning as someone who could not win the big game, never mind the fact that he went 4-0 in Apple Cups in his career. And he took the team to three New Year's Six Bowls, something that they haven't done in 
decades of going back to back to back. And yet everybody has this this depiction of him as, you know, he's got a noodle arm and he just he doesn't have that killer instinct within him. And he was a, a not the same quarterback he was without John Ross yeah, to throw to. There were to. a lot of fans he never fully won over. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So those are a couple of instances of, of athletes who one was able to change the narrative. One was it. Uh, text in your athletes who you think have an opportunity to change the narrative that gets said about them. But coming up next here on Seattle Sports at Night, the Mariners, they win today, but it has been a slog to this point of the season so far. So our fans are already starting to run out of patience for the Mariners' rebuild. We talk that next. Curtis Rogers and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. About 10 minutes from now, we got four downs to get to. It's four down territory right here on Seattle Sports at Night. Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner, he was on with Brock and Salk this morning. The conversation got to Kyler Murray. What was the most interesting thing we heard from him? Stacey Rost, Seahawks insider, she will tell us coming up in about 10 minutes during four down territory. The Mariners win today 8-2 over the Kansas City Royals. They salvage a game in their three-game series. Stacey, I don't know if you watched either of Monday or Tuesday night's games, but Tuesday night's game, probably the worst of the season like it was bad, nine to nothing. Yeah, just in a long game. And on a, a night when I know they talked about this this morning on Brock and Salk, but I totally agree that Root Sports had that really cool idea to do scorecards, and you didn't even get a chance yeah. to like basically show how to score the Mariners' side because they just ground ball, yeah, strike out, yeah, fly. You out. never got to fill in a little diamond. That's my favorite part. Yeah, you get to color it in yeah. the whole way. Yes. Have yeah. you ever started a scorecard over if you mess something up? Uh, yes. Not like so. I'm really good at keeping score. Just you know, I'm gonna, wow. I'm gonna brag here. That's uh, not a humble brag at all. But I have had to restart it if a team makes like a last minute lineup adjustment because I've filled it out before and then like they tweet out like, "Oh, Edwin Encarnacion, he's been scratched." I'm just like, oh, "Dang it!" Like, yeah. Then I gotta fill out a new one. But uh, yeah, I'm. I'm kind of in my element but when it, I'm keeping score. Just throwing that it, out there. It was a bummer, though, because it was a fun idea, and it's just it could not have been worse. Mm-hmm. And uh, it couldn't have been worse a worse game to get people who aren't always like active watchers of baseball who want to be into baseball. Like if you were trying to say, hey, let's get you really paying attention to the game and, and kind of learn some things, and then that's what you watched. That's kind of a bummer. Well, one of the great things about keeping score is is everybody kind of has their own unique way of doing it. Like it's not something that you have to do by the book. Whatever helps you keep track of the pitches and the and the outcomes of each play, like that's totally unique to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the cool things about it is like you don't have to be just you know like this is how it's done X Y and Z. No variations of it. Like you look at everybody's scorebook. It's just so much different than everybody else's. Yeah, no. No, I agree. Uh, Mariners, they are well within a rebuild right now. Uh, this is, I think, phase one of the rebuild where you tear it down to the studs. As If I've learned anything from the Property Brothers, it, <laughs> it's that you got to get down to the studs if you want to really You really, really got to look for issues in the house. foundation because 
inevitably it'll happen. There's going to be some water damage. Yeah. And yes, maybe sometimes it's a plant by a producer so, to create some drama. John Morosi of Fox Sports and, and MLB Network, he joined Brock and Salk yesterday. And we talked about it last night uh, just a little bit about the Mariners' plans of going through this rebuild and how they're trying to save money where if you're not an attractive free agent destination, is that the best thing for you? Well, Morosi then talked about how Mariners fans already may start to put some pressure on the Mariners' front office. You're in a town where good organizational decisions are rewarded and applauded because you're in a very sophisticated, smart town. And I, I really think that's, that's an important part of being, of being a fan here in baseball nowadays is you look at the way payrolls manage, good decisions are made. I, I, I wonder, though, at what point in time the patience runs out and a fan just says, you know what, they're making good, sound organizational decisions, but I want to win some games. I want to see October baseball. And I wonder, guys, if that's where the Mariner fan base is right now. There are fan bases we've seen in years kind of revolt against front offices and, and just say, you know what, I'm tired of this. So like Cleveland Browns fans, they threw a parade when they went 0-16. Not too long ago, Golden State Warriors fans booed their owner on, I think it was Chris Mullen jersey retirement night. And this was before any of the Splash Bros, before any of the Kevin Durant stuff. Like This was probably like 2010, 2011. And that night, Rick Barry, who's a Warriors legend, like probably before Steph Curry was the greatest player in franchise history, he had to hop on the mic and tell the fans, like, hey, stop booing. We need to get on with this ceremony. Like, we're here to honor a franchise icon. Like, let's get on with it. Like, to go from where the Warriors were to where they are now, where they might be the most popular sports franchise in the world. I don't know, though that Seattle fans are that passionate. No, it's not that they're that passionate. I just think like it's the Pacific Northwest is a bit different where there's a lot of transplants here. There's a lot of folks from the East coast and from other places in the States where they might, you know, be more willing to like boo or whatever. But I don't, I don't know that you'd get a fan base riled up and angry the way that you might with like like, an East coast rounds. Yeah. Or even with the Warriors. Like, I just, I don't know if that would happen. But I do wonder, here's what I'm wondering. I think Morosi makes it sound as though he's saying in a city where people have a high baseball IQ, they're going to they're gonna criticize decisions differently, and they're going to be looking at a lot more decisions other than whether or not they like a player you added. Um, but I think another part of that is how how tolerant are people and how long are they willing to deal with a rebuild when they haven't seen success in a really, really, really long time, and you're calling for, you know, not just one or two more years, but but now potentially, you know, four or five more years of it. I think that factors in too. Because not every team that's had a rebuild has just been a team that's really struggled in almost the entirety of its history. No. It's usually a team that's like, all right, we need to get back on track. Yeah, like the Cubs, uh, you know, about – 10 years ago, they said, like, hey, this isn't how we're going to win most effectively. Mm -hmm. They went out and hired Theo Epstein. He brought in his guys, and they tore it down to the studs, and it got them a World Series. The Houston Astros, another example of this. They, you know, they'd been competitive in the 90s for sure. That was their most successful years as a franchise. 
and they were just running out terrible lineup after terrible lineup, and they were in that middle ground that you hate to be in in baseball, where they were winning seventy games and seventy five games or whatever, and they were like, "No, nah, this isn't this isn't it. This isn't what we want to do." So they went out, wandered the desert for years. Like they were losing 110, 112, 108 ball games back to back to back years. Like it hasn't gotten that bad here in Seattle where you run, you know, three consecutive years of having the worst record in baseball in a row. Like no. I don't know if Mariners fans could handle that. They they couldn't. I don't think most fans would would want to handle that at all. But what Mariners fans have gone through is a franchise that just consistently has been stuck in the middle. It has. And and at no point has been. The other day, my my friend who doesn't really watch sports sports asked me, have the Mariners ever really been good? It's and a fair it was, question. And it was a fair question. I mean, it was funny. Like, I, I we laughed, and um, this was on the game when they lost 9-0. Was that Monday? Yeah, uh, that was yesterday. Tuesday, yesterday. Um, so she asked yesterday, and... Like, we laughed, and it was funny, but then I thought, well, I mean, I know, you know, folks always talk about the 95 game, and obviously in 2001 when they were last in the playoffs, but it's not like they were World Series teams. They were they were teams with stars. Yeah. And, and Hall of Famers and Griffey and, and, and guys that clearly, like, this town needed. But I don't know. I mean, they haven't had moments of having been a stellar franchise for an extended period of time and how many franchises haven't like how many how many teams across all leagues have had the kind of history the Mariners have that you can think of where they've made the playoffs four times four in times like ever 43 four seasons. times ever and have never been to a, any kind of championship game in the NFL I think you got like the Detroit Lions but they went they won championships like in the 50s uh the the new Cleveland Browns, they've been to the playoffs one time since right. 1998. Uh, but, I mean, just, yeah. The, it's mostly rare. But the thing is with the Mariners is that they aren't, like, they don't have the kind of embarrassments that, like, the Cleveland no. Browns do or the L.A. Clippers But that's had. what makes it so weird. And do you think? Just been well, do you think that's why they've been bad. stuck in the middle? Because it was never enough where people were calling for someone to get fired. It's happened, but it's it's it was never enough to get people riled up where they felt like we need to do something and scrap everything down because fans are revolting. I think so. But and so it just ended up being like we're going to let someone see out their version of this team until we're just tired of stalling and then we're going to start over. But it never really. It's why Jack Zarenzik had, I think, what, seven years on the job as general manager, never made the postseason. I think he only had, like, two or three winning records along yeah, the way. Yeah, that being why... stuck in the middle is the most dangerous thing because it makes people kind of complacent with, like, okay, well, let's let's see what happens next. Or yeah. it just makes, you know, like, it it makes their it, – there's less incentive to make drastic changes because of pressure from fans. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports Tonight, we wrap up the night with four down territory – uh, what is the biggest position battle on the Seahawks roster this upcoming training camp? We answer that question next. Curtis Rogers, Seahawks insider, Stacey Ross on 710 ESPN Seattle. This, this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got to dig deep. Darn right we do. We got to dig deep. Four Down Territory here on Seattle Sports at Night. Curtis Rogers and Seahawks insider, Stacey Ross with you. Four opportunities to wrap up this hour. Let's get to first down. Number one. 
First down to you, Stacy. Kurt Warner, not Seahawks running back Kurt Warner, but the Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner. He was on with Brock and Salk this morning, and the conversation got to Kyler Murray and how the Cardinals are going to implement him and what he expects from the rookie quarterback this upcoming season. What was the most interesting thing that Warner said to Brock and Salk? And there were a couple. You can listen to it on 710sports.com on the podcast page, but... Uh, I mean, firstly, so I'll get this one out of the way, is that he said that based on what he's hearing from the organization and and from people around the organization, that everyone's really excited. And yes, that wouldn't be a surprise publicly if people were saying that. But, you know, internally where people have trust and people talk in confidence, I think it's interesting that people are still uh, really, really intrigued um, by Kyler Murray. The second thing he said that was interesting to me, and this was pointed out by Brock Heward, is it is so fascinating to hear... uh, an athlete talk about what he what is different about other athletes or what he likes in other athletes because you just think of a professional athlete as being in peak physical condition and there's nothing you can't do um but he talks about what a baseball background does for football players and he says that they learn how to throw the ball a little bit differently um because they're just out of position so much and they really have to throw it from different platforms with their core and he says it's not always a perfect world and he feels like as a pocket passer in the nfl you're playing in kind of a perfect world where you don't always use every single muscle. You don't always uh, have to be, you know, on the move. And so he says that it's just fascinating to see these guys like Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, who have that baseball background and can do that. And, you know, maybe it'll open people's minds about what is a successful and ideal quarterback at the NFL level. Yeah, you look at in the NFL – the quarterbacks who we view as sort of the natural pocket passers, the stiff guys, the Josh Rosens, I think, of when I think of just strictly pocket passers. Sam Darnold kind of in that in that conversation mm-hmm. as well. But then you look at the quarterbacks that have a little bit of mobility but also can throw at a weird angle like Wilson and Mahomes. And I think Baker Mayfield also is a guy who, who gets out and, and – can use different angles that aren't conventional to the quarterback position to have success. Uh, I think it's a great point made by Kurt Warner that, you know, it's, if you have a a background where you're making off balance throws and throwing off your, your wrong foot, but you're being able to have accuracy with that. Mm -hmm. I think that is an incredible, incredible tool to have in in your back pocket as a quarterback, our very own Jake heaps. He was on with Bob Grouse and Tom today, and he echoed those sentiments as well saying that, when he played in college, you know he was a, a pocket quarterback. He was a guy that did the three-step drop and threw it just textbook. But then he also mentioned that when he had to improvise and when he had to throw off his, his wrong foot or, or just not throw it conventionally, that's when he had his issues. So I think Kurt Warner brings up a, a great point in, in how quarterbacks can be successful uh, when they're maybe not bred the stereotypical way that pocket passers are. Number two. Second down. Seahawks training camp about five and a half weeks away. Stacy, when you're out there at the Seahawks headquarters, what is going to be the biggest position battle for this team? Mm, I debated this for a while because there's a lot of position battles going on without a ton of returning starters that this team has had for the past couple years. So unsurprisingly, um, there's a lot of starter gigs that are up for grabs. 
I think running back was a contender for me. Wide receiver, what's going to happen there? But ultimately, I settled on safety. I just think there's the most unanswered questions there, and uh, there's a lot of guys vying for time. And there's also there's a bit of a question mark with both Bradley McDougald and second-round pick Marquise Blair being injured through minicamp. So we haven't really gotten a good look at what this safety group looks like for 2019 at all this offseason. So I think what training camp will bring for not just the coaching staff, but for media and folks just kind of watching from the sidelines is a bit more clarification on where everyone in that group stands. And that's what I'm really interested in. Number three. Third down. Those guys in the morning, Brock and Saul. They, they can't agree on anything, as we all know. But they also can't agree on whether DK Metcalf or Ziggy Ansah is the most intriguing Seahawk. I think Brock Heward had a poll question out there asking that exact question out on his Twitter. Uh, do you think it is either one of those players who is the most intriguing Seahawk? And if not, is there anybody else? I do, and I want uh, I want to agree with Brock because because I do agree with the point that someone being really intriguing also means that they're really impactful. Because having potential impact is kind of what makes you intriguing. And Ziggy Ansah, at a huge position of need, is obviously one of, could be one of the most impactful players. But as far as intriguing players, I am leaning towards DK Metcalf. I just think it's, again, it's that same kind of intrigue people had about a guy like Jimmy Graham coming in. Jimmy Graham was obviously much more accomplished. DK Metcalf is a a rookie But I think it's the idea of seeing a kind of player you haven't really seen in Seattle. And for that reason, I'm very curious to see what he brings. Number four. Fourth down. Last opportunity. Got to be quick here because, I mean, the clock is winding. Super fast. Maurice Jones-Drew of the NFL Network, MJD. A great running back in his own right. He had Chris Carson ranked at number 18, so the bottom half of his list of the NFL's top 32 running backs. Is Chris Carson a bottom half of the league running back? So I like this question because of the responses that that Brock Heward's point got. So Brock Heward said, well, Chris Carson on talent alone is obviously a top 10 running back, but he really fell behind some of the other yardage leaders in, in receiving yards. And uh, and some of the feedback that that got was, oh, well, he's a running back. Obviously, he's running the ball. Like, why why would that matter? But I think to echo his point and just kind of drive home how important this is in Seattle's offense in particular, you have to be able to do both. And I think that Seattle is probably wanting to make the most use of its running backs. You want to get them involved in the passing game. And if you want to be a dynamic offense, if you have on on the one hand Russell Wilson who can beat you with his armor legs, don't you want to have a running back that can kind of do the same in the in the rushing or receiving game? I would think so. I, I think so. Get you a running back who can do both, right? Get you someone who can do both. That's what we're all looking for. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on Seattle Sports at Night. We'll be back with you tomorrow night following the Mariners postgame show. It'll be, uh, I believe it'll be Jake Keeps and myself. So for Stacey Rost, I'm Curtis Rogers. That's doing it for us here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.